welcome to this, the first podcast in a series of podcasts for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards for 2021. We're here today, we've been meeting in a splendid venue called One Oldwich in the centre of London. We've met all 12 of our semi-finalists for the London and South East region. I'm very happy to say that this year we had a record number of entries from all across the country. We actually had 150, which is slightly more than last year, which was itself a record over the previous years. So our awards event continues to grow and attract attention from entrepreneurs across the country. Not surprisingly, the predominant number of entries are in London and the South East, so we've had a large number at the table with us over a very enjoyable lunch today. We, had, we heard from 12 very, very varied companies doing lots of different things, and we'll try and sketch that in in the course of about half an hour on this podcast. I'm joined by our two judges for the day, who are Paul Abley, Chief Executive of our new sponsor this year, Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, and Johnny Olson, Founder and Chief Executive of Touchlight, one of our previous winners for this region. He's in the DNA business. He'll tell us briefly about that. But first of all, Paul, thank you very much for being our sponsor and for being a judge. Just tell us briefly why Charles Stanley took an interest in this award scheme and decided to sponsor it. I think the main reason is that uh, from our investment management activities, innovation is really key. If you think back 20 years ago, some of the companies that might have been on our radar to invest in don't even exist in any any real way today. Equally, there are companies we invest in today which were barely known back in 2000. So you have to be looking at innovation to get clues to where the economy is going to go in the future and where the big investment opportunities are. So the whole culture of innovation and being abreast of what's happening is key to us. Also, many of our clients want to ensure that they're investing in a way which is aligned with environmental, social and governance goals. So uh, I've got a particular eye out for innovation which is linked to ESG. Thank you. Johnny, your business has taken a mighty leap forward because of it connected with the pandemic and COVID and so on. Business conditions for entrepreneurs of all kind have changed radically since we first met you three years ago. Tell us how you see that change affecting the whole sort of spectrum of entrepreneurship. Obviously, the biggest challenge has been COVID over the last 18 months. But it's not just COVID that has affected the workplace. It's also Obviously, Brexit as well has had an impact on the way we work, particularly those companies that are involved in exporting. Where we've seen a significant impact also is in the labour market, particularly in our industry in healthcare. We've seen a significant rise in in labour charges and a lot of talent is being approached by competitors, not just because of the boom in business in the healthcare segment and the paucity of the talent that is emerging, but probably impacted by Brexit as well, by people not wishing to travel so much into the UK. Yeah, Yeah, it's a huge issue, isn't it? Labour shortages of all kinds now, skill shortages. Very interesting where people get their software engineers from. What we've seen over the course of these four years of doing these awards is an interesting pattern also of which sectors predominate in numbers and impressiveness, as it were. So we we had a phase where we had a lot of fintech, but rather less fintech. We've got one very interesting one in today's group. Naturally enough, because of COVID, 
healthcare ventures of all kinds, things that make the NHS work more efficiently, are coming bubbling to the top in the cauldron of entrepreneurship, as it were. And underlying everything right now is climate change as a huge issue as we move towards the COP26 conference, but also as we just watch the extreme weather events all over the world suddenly seem to have come upon us. So we've got quite a number of enterprises we've been looking at today that are to do with renewable energy, with more efficient use of resources, whether that's food or fuel or raw materials for manufacturing and so on. So we can see a pattern in the entries for these awards which reflects great economic and social change that's going on in the background. So 12 companies, we will briefly mention all of them in the course of this podcast. I'm going to start by asking Paul to pick out two or three that particularly struck you as interesting today. Well, I think, again, looking at the environmental, social and governance um, aspect, two very basic elements of there are people being reasonably well-nourished and and being healthy. It is interesting that four of the companies that uh, were presented today fell into, into that bracket, and particularly with regard to food banks. We know, regrettably, there's been growing demand for food banks, and we saw two companies that were presenting different ways of trying to provide an outlet for unwanted food and of course the great thing here is that there is food going to waste that would be readily donated if there was a mechanism to get that food to the people that that might want it. Um, Olio which is sort of peer-to-peer type sharing which has been around I think for a, a number of years and is clearly doing very well just simply matching people with surpluses together with people that need that food but also Banquet that is seeming to provide a scalable way of bringing together people that are willing to donate to food banks and stop it being you know, a very well-intentioned cottage industry to something that becomes truly scalable and therefore can have much, much greater impact. And, and they were two that resonated with me. Yes, and in Banquet we had met before. They were an entrance, entrant in a previous year and they were then really a concept. Robin Ferris, the founder, described it to us in a previous year but it was really a, a very small startup more looked more like a social enterprise than a business at that stage but what we could see from today is that that is really very scalable there's a need there are food banks all over the world there are wholesalers and supermarket chains and so on with surplus or food that would otherwise be disposed of so that was one that has grown. We were all looking, I think, for what the connection between those two could be. There must be some synergy between them. Anyway, you, you were going to mention a couple more, I think. And I think you know, elsewhere, the two companies in the healthcare sector, I mean, I know from my personal family's experience, you know, repeat prescriptions can be quite a headache, and it's been even more so during COVID. So the company was offering a way to provide prescriptions, to have them delivered or collected if people find that more efficient, you know, seemed to fill a gap that the NHS, frankly, is a little bit clunky in doing. But also the, the second would be the company that's providing healthcare diagnostics. There's so much more science around nowadays that can be used to monitor people's health. And I think the, the concept of viewing the health service as something which is excellent once you become unwell but less good at anticipating when you become unwell. Testing at that stage so the worst doesn't happen, I think, is something that's going to be uh, very interesting in the future. Yeah, so those two. The first one was Echo Pharmacy, which actually has now been bought by 
Lloyd's Pharmacy, and I, th- I believe it's now called Lloyd's Direct. So that's a business that's grown absolutely dramatically, helping people to get their medications at home, particularly during the pandemic. And I must say, my own GP surgery <laughs> at home has been like a fortress for the past 18 months. It's, I used to have to stand outside in the rain, and they would hand my prescription to me through a tiny hatch and they never said to me why don't you go online and have a look at echo well actually i should you know and the second one you mentioned is thriver very interesting digital business connecting up bits of the nhs making sure people get the care they need and a very interesting remark hamish his name was that the founder that they're interested not in lifespan but health span that is being healthy for longer by having a better organised provision of healthcare, which the private sector can intervene and help the NHS. Johnny, did any of those four particularly strike you? I remember a couple of years ago hearing the story of Banquet and, and that this showed so much promise, but it was very nascent at the time. But I think they've gone from sort of one staff in 2019 to 200 volunteers now and I think that's a, a remarkable achievement to be able to scale that they've gone to 56 cities from three cities in in two years and I, I think that they've delivered against the promise that they showed two years ago which I thought was wonderful likewise with Echo you know from 71,000 patients in 18 months ago to 500,000 patients now that is remarkable growth and you know delivering on the promise that they set uh, that was so clear a couple of years ago. I thought it was quite interesting with Echo in, in making the transition from bringing in the pharmacy network into their business model. That was it was very interesting. So I suppose it was inevitable that they were acquired by the pharmacy chain Lloyd's. So those were fantastic businesses. But there was a remarkable bit, remarkable bit of entrepreneurship, I thought, across the whole table. I really enjoyed the presentation by Glint on the gold procurement platform gold is security glint is the key i thought was their their proposition and i i'd I'd not heard of that before and making gold as a as a vehicle much more accessible i thought that was a a insightful piece of marketing and on the subject of sort of uh, marketing overall i i started my career in advertising uh, and it was all about how you position brands and how you generated creative ideas and brands and whilst I think they rightly position themselves as BDB now and not billion dollar boy which is what they started off as I thought it was interesting the advancement of the positioning brands through talent and and through different channels of I think we call them influencers but it's probably an outmoded expression but how they brought creativity into that market I thought was very interesting and like you, I enjoyed the presentation of Olio. That's clearly disruptive, clearly growing at a massive rate. But overall, I was so impressed by the talent around the table and, and the level of entrepreneurship. Yeah, Glint, being myself ex-banker and still keeping a close eye on the money world, I have been very down, readers of my column will know, I'm very down on cryptocurrencies and I'm rather suspicious of any any product that presents itself as a sort of alternative to fiat currency, to state-backed currency. On the other hand, what Glint is doing is a gold-backed form of money, I mean a card. That, so we heard today that the, the representative of Glint had arrived in a, in a taxi and he'd paid with his Glint card and that had used 
what was it, a tenth of a gram of gold or some, some tiny piece of gold held in a vault in, in Switzerland that it represented. So I thought that was really, really interesting. The Billion Dollar Boy one had a vocabulary that's a bit of a mystery to people who've never worked in the advertising industry. But, but I like the, the creative aspect. I think to the outside world, the word influencer still has some mixed connotations. We're not sure about those, but it was, it, it was a very creative presentation. Back, back in the day, we used to say that 50% of advertising works. We're not sure which 50%. And I think as it's gone into the sort of digital world where it says 100% of our advertising works, and clearly that's, that's not true, I think what they're doing is bringing some creativity into a new type of media. And, and I thought that was very interesting. But the other I- idea that really uh, came through, I thought, was Hexa. And, and they were blending talent that clearly was fostered in a university setting of how that you could create algorithms and, and image the head and then use it to build a cycle helmet. Just tell us a little bit about the Hexa product. The, the Hexa product, I suppose, I'm not going to do it justice, but it's a moulded helmet for cycling that's specifically moulded to your head. And they use algorithms that you can use on your smartphone to be able to get the perfect design for your headwear. And I thought that was ideas that were clearly fostered in universities. They've understood how you could take imaging forward and then found a very interesting application. I think they've probably got two businesses. One is in specifically in, in headwear for cyclists, but that imaging will apply to a whole load of new markets from from feet to to posture to a whole load of different areas, and I thought that was very interesting. And that can often be the case with innovation, can't it, that you start out with one particular idea in order to develop it, you encounter another, and it's the, the second idea that actually becomes the big success. And it'd be interesting to see which direction Hexa end up going in, but it probably will be the imaging will be the real benefit to them. And you can imagine it going into eyewear, to orthotics, to a whole load of different applications. And actually, it was, it was a great pleasure for us. Henry Fielding, the co-founder of Hexa, arrived uh, midway through our lunch, um, and was the last to present to us, but he actually brought the physical product with him. So we had a manufactured piece of engineering in our hands. So many of the businesses we hear from are softer areas. They're, they're, they're digital. You have to grasp the concept. In this case, we could actually grasp the physical product, which, as I understand it, is made from an organic plant-based material. It's not an oil-based plastic. So that's another aspect of, of what's interesting about it. Let's pick out one or two others. I was very interested in Connected Curb, which is a provider supplier of plugins for electric cars and is working with a lot of local authorities, councils in the UK, to accelerate the provision of plugins. And we heard, for example, that they'd just done deal, I think it was with West Sussex, to provide thousands of plugins. The one thing that's holding back the um, advance of the electric vehicle is not the automotive industry itself. It's the fact that there aren't enough plugins because government's not very good at providing that sort of infrastructure in a hurry. But companies like Connected Curb, which is actually a lot of clever software and data analysis, as well as actually sourcing a product and, you know, installing it. I was doing that, so I liked that. We also had a couple of people in the 
sort of related to that renewable energy, energy procurement, more efficient energy procurement for big companies or small, zero trace is basically, as I understood it, a, a consultancy and a data analyst that is telling people where to get the best price for the energy that they need. And Zygo is specifically a renewable energy business. So they are filling a gap that really needs to be filled too. Paul, I wanted to ask you about Zippen, which is a pension consolidator, a rather independent consultant-type pension consolidator. This is in your field somewhat. Tell us your reaction to that one. Well, I was impressed with how they're trying to approach the advice gap. There clearly is a problem providing good quality pension advice to people with relatively modest uh, pension pots. You know, a digital solution has to be the, the, the right way forward. And I think the challenge is to come up with something that can deliver to the customer uh, and is but at the same time almost doesn't want to be disruptive because if it's too disruptive the rest of the industry will close ranks against it and I think the business model they've come up with is something which can help customers and also be uh, work alongside the existing providers so I, I thought that was a very interesting uh, approach to a, to a very real problem with it that does need a solution. And Johnny I think you asked the question about trust in that sector because the enormous problem in the pensions world has caused by mis-selling over a whole generation is anything that involves moving your pension from one place to another immediately triggers a strong sense of distrust in the in the consumer I think so and as I understand it that's what uh, Zippen exists to kind of help people get over that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I, I fully understood the answer, to be quite honest, because I think that is a big issue that they that they face. But they've clearly grown very rapidly, so they may have overcome that uh, in acquiring customers in quite a rapid rate. So, so whilst I didn't fully understand the answer, I'm, I'm clearly off track because they're doing something and penetrating the market quite well. So I think we've mentioned almost everyone we've seen today. May I mention one other? Yes, Martin, please. Which was, which was the Queen's English. Ah, yes, that's the one. The where... Queen's English have done a remarkable job in selling the English word and, and English teaching abroad, uh, particularly penetrant in the, the Indian market. They've got an interesting business model. They have developed their own software to be able to teach the English word. And, and clearly, it is one ripe to grow. And, and I think they've done a, a fabulous job in, in getting their, their product launched. And I was impressed with the vocational English approach they have, so very much the emphasis on teaching English in a way that will help young people find good employment. Quite interesting, the company name, really, the Queen's <laughs> English. So many of 150 entrants, you could say, probably 130 of them have names that are kind of invented, a lot of them beginning with Z, you know, and here's one called the Queen's English. Well, we now understand why, you know, what the appeal of that would be, perhaps to a, a, a sort of mid, middle-class Indian client base that, that they're aiming at. So, so I think that, that covers the whole field of everyone we've seen today. It's an amazing range. How do you think, Johnny, in terms of being able to raise capital for high-growth businesses like some of these today, do you think that's getting any easier, more difficult? What, what's the trend there? 
Somebody told me a stat last week, which you will probably um, refute, but uh, in terms of the number of UK companies acquired by foreign investors in the last eight months has been the equivalent of that that's happened in the last five years. Yeah. So I think that there's been a lot of good overseas money come into the UK and, may, and become much more readily available to entrepreneurs. And actually what they're looking for is great ideas. And I think what we've seen today is a lot of great ideas really evidencing the early stages of the business model. And some of them, in several cases, going to Series C financing, which has been clearly available to some of the, the businesses we saw today. And, and even some, one particularly Echo, has even gone to exit. And, and so I think that's the strength of the business model. And, and that is attra- attracting good finance. And there may be some survivor bias in this, but I thought it was encouraging that none of the entries really told stories of, of uh, cash flow issues really stopping them doing what they wanted to do. They had all found a way of raising the capital they needed to, to build the businesses. So I think nowadays we're in pretty good shape in terms of money being available in the UK for people with really good actionable ideas. Do you see that, Paul, in your own client base, that people who's sort of perhaps it's really their retirement savings that you're you're looking after for them but are they generally across your sort of client spectrum more willing to consider uh, doing a little bit of angel investment venture capital fund that kind of thing than they were before How- i think there's a little there's a bit of a mismatch between their appetite and the regulatory environment that governs their savings i, I think most of our clients actually would be really intrigued and interested in investing in the type of companies that we've uh, talked about today. But that said, the regulatory emphasis is very much to protect those clients by ensuring that there is liquidity in their portfolios and therefore inevitably you get pushed to the listed companies, which obviously are much more mature than the entrepreneurs that, that we met today. So there's, I think there's a mismatch, sadly. Yeah, yeah. It was ironic that the one company that did say they had cash flow issues was actually acquired (laughs) so um clearly in a a very healthily as well yes and that company which is echo now lloyd's direct is perhaps the one that was furthest along the line of all the companies we saw today they've also grown so rapidly during covid Uh, that was the Mm. the remarkable thing and and most of most of the what we heard about today had some element of tech play to them which hasn't been so uh, ravaged by the virus. What I was also struck with actually across the companies today, there is an enduring theme about making a better world. Uh, I mean, just about everyone we heard from to some degree was either neutral or positive in that direction. You know, I've mentioned some on the healthcare, you mentioned you know, the connected curb. You know, what I liked about that one in particular is that it's giving accessibility to ordinary people who might not have the luxury of a garage uh, in order to charge their car. Um, so th- th- there was a, a very encouraging pattern of entrepreneurs thinking of ideas to improve the world. It's been a theme of my writing lately, both in my column and actually in a, a book of mine that's, that's due out next month about capitalism and where it's going and so on, that the, the private sector entrepreneurs and even and much larger companies are remarkably capable of of pivoting in response to changing circumstances, much more so really than government is. So automotive is one example of that, the speed with which it's now switching to electric 
vehicles is quite remarkable and it just needs this infrastructure to make it happen but also i think the energy industry is going to move almost as fast it has a much bigger shift to make but you can see in in these two procurement businesses the way that's going too last year during this process when we were pretty much in lockdown during all the encounters with our semi-finalists and so on and then i was talking to a lot of them on the phone, writing about them afterwards, I was terrifically impressed how quickly they adapted to extraordinary circumstances of lockdown and so on, not just working from home, but in several cases changing their products to provide things that were essential. Pop-up cardboard desks for working from home was the classic example. What you could say from today's conversation is... It's not exactly as though the pandemic never happened. That's clearly not the case. It's just that entrepreneurs really are so forward-looking. They were looking well beyond these last few months to the next stage and the next set of global issues to be addressed. So I think as a starting encounter for this year's Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, that was a very exciting, uplifting encounter. We just had an amazing range of businesses all very well presented. Our judges have... Uh, fantastically difficult task. Listeners may like to look up the websites of all of these companies and find out more about them. I hope you'll do that. And I hope you'll stay with us for the whole series of podcasts as we go on around the country, meeting more semi-finalists and moving towards our, our final presentation of the awards, which will be a virtual event in November. So thank you all very much for listening. Thank you to our judges, Paul and Johnny. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you.